You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Bezra Hashem, we're going to be continuing with Rabbi Nachman's story of the Sheva HaKabsanim, the seven beggars. And we find ourselves at the second day of Sheva Brachos. After the marriage of the lost children, the beggars who grew old, and they merited to find great joy and great simcha in the pit dug into the mud, covered in branches, twigs, and trash. And on the first day of Sheva Brachos, they remembered the blind beggar, the blind beggar who offered them the blessing in the forest that they should be as old as he was. And at the Sheva Brachos, the blind beggar arrives and he gives them the gift of his old age. And he tells them that you thought my deficiency, you thought my blindness was a pigam. You thought that my blindness was an inability to see. How wrong can you be? My blindness is not an inability to see, but it's a vision that sees so deeply that it realizes that nothing that I see in this world is meaningful enough to distract me from the tachlis. I see through all the sheets and all the visors and all the facades and all the coverings. I see the main point. And the main point for the blind beggar was the capacity to renew himself at every moment, to be incredibly old, to be older than old, to come from a place of ancient days, but at the same moment to renew himself at every moment, to be mitchadesh himself, to realize that the past is the past and the future is unknown. And the only thing that a person is capable of doing is emboldening themselves and strengthening themselves and enlivening themselves in this moment itself. And so the blind beggar arrives on the first day of the Sheva Brachos as the children are crying for him in the pit, in the mud, at their chasana, within the capacity of joy in darkness itself, the simcha that emerges from within the Marashtaira. And instead of just being blessed with his old age, they are given the gift of his old age. Now tonight what we're going to be discussing is the second day of the Sheva Brachos, the second beggar when the children in their celebration, in the heat of the simcha that they find in darkness itself, they remember the second beggar, the second beggar who came along and renewed their hope. After the first blind beggar came and offered them bread and the lost children said, please let us come with you. Please don't go, please don't go. We'll eat you up, we love you so. And the blind beggar said, this is not what I want. I don't want you to come with me. And the children once again are thrown into hopelessness, are thrown into a place of destitution and starvation and nothingness. And then suddenly emerging upon the scene 
dark within the heart of darkness or deep within the heart of darkness, the deaf beggar arrives and he offers them bread. And the children say to him, they say, please stay with us, stay with us, bring us with you. And the deaf beggar says, I don't want this. I don't want you to follow me, just like the blind beggar. But he says, but I give you a blessing. The blessing is that you should live a good life like I live. That you should merit to live as good a life as I live. In Kachava, as the children were stuck in the forest, they meet the other beggars afterwards. And now on the second day of their Sheva Brachos, they desire for that deaf beggar to return. They desire for that deaf beggar who had offered them renewed hope after they had lost hope. They desire that he arrive on the scene. Now, parenthetically, as a tangent, but we know well enough already that tangents are never simply tangential, but the tangent is a prat, hayotzim and aklal. It's a particular utterance that is outside of the general theme that serves to strengthen the theme. And any of the deviations away from the narrative that we encounter in Rabbi Nachman's telling of the tales and Rabbi Nassim's recording of these tales are part and parcel of the tale itself. So that fact and fiction, the boundaries that separate the two of them begin to be blurred. And it's no longer clear what Rabbi Nachman was saying and what Rabbi Nassim was remembering because again, like we said, the goal of the Sipur Maisios Meishanim Kanmonios, the tales of ancient days from a place of ancientness, from a place of Atik Yoimin, from a place that is removed from our historical temporal framework. The goal is to awaken us. The goal is to give us strength. The goal is to wake us up and show us that even in the depths of slumber, even in the depths of unconsciousness, when we find ourselves seizing and stuttering on the ground. Nevertheless, there is a capacity of wakefulness at the heart of sleep. And the goal of the stories, like Rabbi Nachman says, is unlike what stories are for the rest of the world. As Rabbi Nachman said, the rest of the world tells stories to put their children to sleep. But I, he says, as recorded in Chaim Maharan, I tell stories to wake people up. And the goal is to awaken us. And part of that wakefulness, part of being awoken is recognizing that the stark boundaries that we set between fact and fiction begin to be blurred. And so we're told that Rabbi Nassim records that the second day, the second story, the second beggar, the deaf beggar, the way that this story took place goes as follows. That in the year 1809, Leil Shabbos, Parsha Shmini, Rabbi Nachman told the Maisa, of the introduction to what happened to the king who desired to offer kingship over to his son in his lifetime, and the continuation of the narrative, which was the catastrophe, the anonymous catastrophe, which sent an entire civilization into the forest. And then a few days later, a few days later, Rabbi Nassim arrives to Rabbi Nachman and he asks him to continue the story. After the remarkable story of the blind beggar and the nine shipwrecked sailors who were questioning and bargaining between who was older than whom. Rabbi Nachman reveals the secret of the blind beggar. And then Rabbi Nelson wanted the story to continue and he came to Rabbi Nachman as Rabbi Nachman was eating lunch. 
So Benachman was eating lunch. To imagine a tzaddik eating lunch like that is already something that brings chizuk. But as Benachman was eating lunch and he said, Rebbe, Rebbe, can you continue the story? Can you continue the Misa? And Rabbi Nachman said, remind me, where were we? And Rabbi Nassim said, you were speaking about the blind beggar. And Rabbi Nachman said, tell me a little bit about what's going on in the world. Tell me some of the news. Tell me some of the chadashos. And Rabbi Nassim, as a faithful follower of his Rebbe, started telling him about stories that were going on in the town of Berdichev and how there were very wealthy individuals, well-established individuals, who were complaining and, and desiring and lacking things and incapable of being happy about their riches and their wealth, conveying certain circumstances of current events. And Ibn Nachman said to Ibn Asin, he says, oh, this is exactly where we were in the story. This is exactly where we were. You reminded me that the world is filled with chesronos. You reminded me that even the rich and even the wealthy and even those who seem to have it and even those who seem to have structure in their life are also lacking. And at that point, Rabbi Nachman started telling over the story of the second beggar, the story of the deaf beggar. On the following day of the seven days of the Sheva Brachos, the children who were married in the pit, covered in trash, began to remember the other beggar, the beggar who was deaf, who had enlivened and given them bread when they were stuck in the heart of the forest. And they were crying and they were longing. They were crying and they were desiring after this deaf beggar. And they were saying to themselves, how can we bring the deaf beggar, the one who gave us hope when we were stuck in the forest, how can he be brought here? Meanwhile, says Rabbi Nachman, as they were longing after him, he comes in and he says, Hineni, here I am. Again, the same narrative as the blind beggar, as if to say that I've been here all along, that you thought I was gone, but I never left you for a second. I've been with you the entire time. The entire story of you being lost in the forest and growing up to become beggars, I was with you all along, but now that you asked for me and now that you desired me and now that you expressed lack over my absence, suddenly I emerge onto the scene as if to say, I have always already been here with you. That the hope that you so desire, that the comfort that you so desire, that the satisfaction that you so desire is always with you. The only thing you need to do to uncover the latent potency of your inherent wholeness is to yearn after it, is to feel the lack of it. And in the moment that you express the lack, in the moment that you are boicha and mitka'ageya, the moment that you cry and you yearn after the absence of the deaf beggar, suddenly you recognize that what you have been desiring you have had all along. And the deaf beggar arrives and he says, Hineni, here I am. And he fell upon these children, these two lost children, who were now the chassan and the kala, the husband and the wife, and he gave them hugs and kisses. And he said to them, today I present you with the gift that you should be as I am, that you should live a good life as I do, 
Because previously, when you were lost in the forest, I had blessed you that you should be like me, that you should have a good life like me. But now on the second day of your Sheva Rachos, I offer you as a gift the fact that you should be exactly like me, that you should have a good life like I have. And the deaf beggar continues and he says, you think that I'm deaf? You think that I can't hear? I am not deaf at all. Rather, the entire world does not matter to me whatsoever so that I should hear their lack. That kol ha'olam lo ola be'oiznai she'eshma chesreinam. That all of the voices that emerge out of this world, the cacophony of expressions and speech and utterances, they are all rooted in lack. And I have no tolerance for such speech. I can't tolerate the voices and the sounds that emerge out of lack. For each and every voice in the world is only about the needs that they have. And each and every person screams about his or her own deficiency. That is what they don't have and what they're missing. And even the celebratory voices of the world, even the celebrations, the deaf beggar says, they are all exclusively about deficiencies, meaning to say, that sounds of celebration are only born out of the fullness of some lack that I had felt. That the positive utterances that emerge into the world are only born out of a fullness that fills a preceding lack or absence. As someone rejoices over what he didn't have, but now that they have it, But the deaf beggar continues and he says, the entire world doesn't come across to me at all that I should hear their chesronos. It's not voices to me. Because I live such a good life, I live such a positive life that there's no such thing as lack. There's no such thing as chesaron. And I have testimony to this. I have testimony, says the deaf beggar. I have testimony to the fact that I live the good life, that I live Chaim Toivim. Where do I have testimony? I have testimony from the land of Ashiras, from the land of wealth. And my good life, says the deaf beggar, was that I ate bread and I drank a lot of water. And we're going to continue with the narrative before we try and elicit the mood that emerges from such a narrative. Again, we're not trying to interpret the symbolism of Rabbi Nachman's stories, something that thousands of pages could be written upon. We're simply trying to live within the space, the mood that emerges through the tale of the seven beggars that Rabbi Nachman offers us. And again, it's important to remember that the tale of the second beggar, the tale of the deaf beggar, emerges specifically when Rabbi Nassim gives Rabbi Nachman the news that everybody in the world is worried. Everybody in the world is lacking. And that's what gave birth to this narrative. And so here we see the deaf beggar says, I'm offering you good life. I'm offering you the blessing of good life like me. 
And why should you believe that I have a good life? I have testimony to the fact that I live a very good life from the land of wealth, from the land of Ashiros. And Rabbi Nachman continues his story and he says as follows. That once upon a time there was a land of great wealth. They had enormous fortunes. And one time all of those wealthy individuals gathered together and each one of them began boasting of how good their lives were. How each and every one of them lived such a good life and each one describing the routine of their good lives. And as the deaf beggar was continuing to convey this narrative of these rich individuals, and again, richness doesn't simply convey capitalism or financial security. It conveys the sense of everybody feeling as if they were okay, as if everything was beseder. And each and every one of them spoke up and I said to them, I live a better life than all of you. Each and every person, each and every ashir, each and every witch person, was trying to show how they lived better lives than the other. And then the deaf beggar who was conveying this blessing to the lost children who were being married in the pit spoke up and he said, I live a better good life than all of you. And the proof for this, the proof for the fact that I live a better life is the fact that I have a question to ask you. If anybody wants to prove that they live a better life than I do, let them come along and help out this country. For there is a country that originally had a garden. And in this garden, there were fruits of all kinds that had every taste of the world and every smell of the world and every shape and every color and every flower of the world. Everything was contained within that garden. And there was a gardener, there was somebody who ruled over that garden, ensuring that that garden continued to offer up its fruits to the people of that country. And the people of that country, says the deaf beggar, would live a very good life through this garden. But once upon a time, the gardener got lost. And naturally, every garden needs a gardener. And when the gardener ceases to exist, the garden no longer offers the fruits that it offered. But nevertheless, this country was capable of sustaining themselves based on the overgrowth of this forest, based on the overgrowth, rather, of this garden. And then the deaf beggar continues in trying to prove that he lives the better life than everybody else says a cruel king, a merciless king, began to rule over this country. But he couldn't do anything to the people of the country because they continued to live the good life through the overgrowth of that forest. So he recognized, this evil king recognized that in order to ruin the good life of this country, he needed to ruin their garden. But he himself didn't ruin their garden but rather he appointed three crews of henchmen and commanded them to do what he ordered them. 
And by doing there what the king ordered them to do, these henchmen ruined the taste and the smell and the appearance of that forest so that the eyes of the country individuals, the eyes of the citizens who had lived the good life when the gardener of that garden existed, began to smell and taste the smell of a rotten carcass, as if suddenly everything that looked beautiful and light descended into darkness and poison. And now the deaf beggar says, if you truly live a good life, let me see if you can help out this country. You want to prove to me that you live a better life than I do? Show me that you can fix this country. And I say to you, the deaf beggar says, if you won't help them out, if you don't have the ability to fix this garden, then it will harm you. The rich men that the deaf beggar was speaking to, all of whom who were gathered together to prove that they lived the best life out of anybody, they got up together and they went to that country. They decided to go and try and see who could fix that country. And the deaf beggar says, I went with them. And on the way, they all lived their good lives, each of them on their own, for they had fortunes, as we mentioned above. And when they came close to that country, they began to spoil. And their taste and their smell and their vision of things began to be disgusting and spoiled within them. And the deaf beggar said to them, just consider if already now, before having even entered into this country where the garden was polluted by the henchmen of the evil king, you have begun to lose the sense of the good life? How in the world are you going to help them when you enter into that garden? And the deaf beggar says, I took my bread and my water and I gave it to them. And they felt within the bread and the water that I offered them all the tastes and all the smells and all the visages that returned them to the sense of light and correctedness. Rabbi Nachman continues the narrative and he says as follows. The other country, the country that had originally lived the good life, the country that had the beautiful garden that offered them a taste of the sense of smell and vision and taste of the good life, they gathered together amongst themselves wondering, how in the world can we restore the good taste of life that we had? How can we emerge out of this brokenness and find the good life again? And they decided amongst themselves, that we have heard that there was a country of rich individuals, the very same country that that deaf beggar was coming from. And if these individuals are so rich, if these individuals experience life in such a positive way, it must be that they share a root with our country because we used to live a good life. And these people continue to live a rich life. And perhaps maybe these people from the land of riches will have insight, will have aitsa for us as to how to restore the original good life that we had had. And they sent messengers from the land of the polluted garden 
to the land of riches to try and find Eitza or a suggestion of how to find good life once again. Now again, Rabbi Nachman points out that we have a collision in the narrative here. The individuals from the land of the riches were moving towards the land of the garden that had lost its good life in order to help them restore good life. And the individuals and the messengers from the land of good life were moving towards the land of riches to try and ask them how to find good life. And they encounter one another on the road. And they reveal to themselves that each is searching for the other. And the deaf beggar says, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who can help you restore good life. And the deaf beggar says as follows, I followed with the messengers of that country and I entered into a city. And I saw the people approaching me. Each and every one of them had a word of mockery, some joke to say to one another. And then more people came until a small crowd gathered around them, each and every one of them offering their own wisecracks and laughter. And I listened to what they were saying and schmoozing about. And I heard them speaking nivel peh, words of negation, lewd speech, each and every one of them quipping to the other but each person revealing sharper language than the other. And the deaf beggar who finds himself now in the land of the polluted garden says again, he says, later on I went further on into another city and I saw two people fighting with one another on account of some sort of contractual transaction. And they went to a courthouse to bring a court suit and the court decided how it should be. But each and every one of them decided that even though the court claimed one thing, were not willing to listen to it. And they began to fight and they began to argue. And the deaf beggar said, it's clear to me that there's no truth in this town. And afterwards he went to a town, another town in that country and the deaf beggar realized that there was inappropriate relationships going on, illicit, illicit relationships, things that were impermissible. And I said to them that on account of this, an account of all of their behaviors, the smell and the taste and the scent of your good life has been polluted. And the deaf beggar goes on and teaches them how to restore their world, how to return their world to the good life, how to find those missionaries of the cruel king who had tried to undo the life force that emerged from that garden. And he taught them how to seek out those emissaries and throw them away and to restore good life. And as the good life began to return, and as the scent and the smell and the vision of that garden began to return, the town people came to the deaf beggar and they said, how do we know? Who was the true gardener of that garden that had given us the good life? How do we know? How can we be certain that we're placing the right person back into power? And the townspeople said, there's a Meshuggah, there's somebody who has gone insane. There's somebody who has lost their mind, who has been telling us all along that they were the gardener who had been lost. How can we tell for sure? And the deaf beggar said, I promise you, I promise you that that 
individual who seems to have gone insane is in truth the gardener of the garden. And they placed the gardener of the garden back into the garden and he restored the good life back to the people of that country. And the deaf beggar says, so here you see that I have testimony from that place of the good life, from that town where people lived the truly good life. I have testimony that I live a good life like no one else. Now again, what Rabbi Nachman is conveying is beyond our rational logic. It's a story. It's a beautiful fairy tale. It's a beautiful story. But what does it mean? What can the mood elicit for us? The deaf beggar who appears to be deaf to the children exclaims that I am not deaf. I can hear very, very well. The reason I appear to be deaf is because all of the voices and all of the exclamations and all of the dialogue and all of the news and all of that which needs to be said emerges out of lack. That each and every person, each and every voice seems to be conveying a desire for something, a yearning for something, it is a voice that emerges out of a sense of deficiency. It is a voice that emerges out of a sense that my life is not the way it is meant to be right now. The nivel peh, the negative language that has polluted the town of the good life, is the language that we all live with. We live within the shattered vestiges of a primordial language a language that has lost its potency, a language that once upon a time was capable of conveying the essential message that we truly needed to hear. And in the loss of that essential meaning of things, we fall into disillusionment and misunderstanding. And each person is expressing the desires of their own heart, the concerns of their own heart, the lack of their own lives, screaming out, crying out for what they're lacking. But what has removed from the scene is true speech that emerges out of a sense of wholeness. The deaf beggar says, I'm not really deaf, but these voices that I hear in the world, this negative and despondent language, this utterance that conveys how broken things are, I'm tired of hearing it. I'm sick of hearing it. So you think I'm deaf? I'm not deaf. I just don't want to listen to these broken voices anymore. I want to hear the true word. I want to hear the good news that people have to say. I am the only person, says the deaf beggar, who knows the good life. And again, let's remember the deaf beggar who was sitting amongst the rich of the world, those who felt they had everything. But the deaf beggar, all he had was bread and water. That the richness of the good life, the sense of satisfaction, the sense of sustenance, is not contingent upon external circumstances, is not contingent upon 
that which is outside of us and the way that we weigh ourselves or value ourselves, but rather the promise of the good life, the promise of Chaim Toivim, that promise is rooted in the ability of the individual to find satisfaction in what they have and what they experience. That you can have 99.9% of everything this world has to offer, but the voice that emerges out of your throat and out of your own heart is a voice of deficiency, is a voice of jealousy, is a voice of anxiety, is a voice of fear, is a voice of despondency. And the deaf beggar emerges and he says, you can also have nothing but bread and water. But if your voice emerges from a place of self-satisfaction, if your voice emerges out of a place of enoughness, that in this moment, in this moment that I sit in right now, I am enough, I have enough, my life is enough. Sorry about that. That is enough to convey to me that I'm not lacking anything. The deaf beggar comes along and he says, you can live a good life even when you're deficient because the good life is dependent on how you choose to speak about your life. The language that we use, the utterances that we use to describe our circumstances can operate in one of two ways. A person can speak from a place of impoverishment, a person can speak from a place of suffering, a person can speak from a place of despondency and limitation, shrying and sighing over everything that is missing in their lives, expressing their anxieties to the other in the hopes of hearing some momentary level of comfort. Or a person can choose to speak from a place of enoughness. A person can choose to use their language to express gratitude, a language of wholeness, a language that says what I have right now might be humble, what I have right now might be limited, but nevertheless, when all is said and done, it's what I have. The deaf beggar's capacity to live the good life was not because he had everything that he possibly needed, but rather because what he had is what he needed. Because we are capable of saying that I am enough, that I have enough, that the circumstances that I find myself in are enough, and that each and every one of us has the capacity to choose to speak positively to change our inner language from a language of jealousy and desire and limitation and fear and to transform our language into an affirmative language. Baruch she'amar v'haya ha'olam. Blessed is he who spoke and allowed the world to come into being. That when we say Baruch she'amar, when we say that blessed is he, God, who spoke the world into being, 
what we're conveying is an affirmative stance. We're acknowledging that even though everything seems to be broken and lacking and imperfect and mechusser and deficient, nevertheless, in the affirmative stance that I choose to take in this moment, when I choose to speak positively, when I choose to express words of gratitude, that is how we encounter the good life. That is how we encounter the true voice, the true voice of life, the kol hachayim that emerges from within the recesses of the soul. Our tzaddikim tell us that there are two kinds of voices. There is a voice that can be heard externally, and because it's an external voice, it can begin with strength, yet it dies down ever so surely, so that that which was exciting in the beginning begins to descend into impoverishment and despondency. And there is a kol panima deloishama. There is an inner voice that cannot be heard. The deafness of the desk beggar the inner voice that we hear within each and every one of ourselves, which promises us that even though externally and outside of us, the noise and the voice of the rest of the world can deafen us because of its despondency, nevertheless, if we quiet our lives down, if we quiet our thoughts and our minds down, so that we can truly hear the silent voice, the kol demamadaka yishma, that silent utterance that resounds within ourselves, we can begin to encounter the promise of the good life. We can begin to encounter the promise that even though things appear to be so broken, even though things appear to be so deficient, nevertheless, they emerge from a place of wholeness. The blind, be the deaf beggar was not denying brokenness in the world. The deaf beggar was not denying the voices of suffering that emerged from each and every individual. But rather the deaf beggar was saying that I hear something even more internal than all of those voices. That what I hear, what I truly hear within the news and within the utterances and within the despair and the anxiety and the despondency of the rest of the world, is a promise of hope, a sound of hope that says that all of these noises that I hear right now will eventually pass over. They will eventually become silent because there will be a time where the things that we worry about will no longer be present. And the deaf beggar says that I am willing to truly listen. I am willing to truly listen to the inner voice that emerges out of each and every one of our words that sees and hears deeper than the despondency and hears the hope at play within each and every one of our expressions. That at the heart of every spoken word that we say, there is an unspoken word that cannot be expressed. The Zohar HaKadosh points out based on the phrase that we say at the end of every Shemona Esrei that we daven. Yehi Imri Fi. 
Vehegion libi lefanecha Hashem tsuri vegoyali. That the words, Hashem, that my mouth has just uttered to you should be favorable in your eyes. But not only the words that I utter to you, but rather hegyoin libi, the thoughts of my heart as well. Those should also emerge pleasurable in front of your eyes. And the Zayar HaKadosh asks, in Parshas Mishpatim it says, What's the difference between the uttered words and the thoughts of the heart? And the Zohar answers and it says that our expressions, our language, our way of conveying our self-talk and the way we talk to ourselves in this world, all of that is revealed, all of that is built and based upon that which we see in external reality. And those things are measurable and expressible, but they're also susceptible to darkness and concealment. But there is an inner voice, the thoughts of the heart which cannot be expressed. The thoughts of the heart which hold on to hope even in places of, hopefulness, of hopelessness. The voice of the heart, the thoughts of the heart that emerge even out of the despondent speech of the death and the brokenness and the darkness of daily speech. And the deaf beggar was capable of hearing that inner voice, that voice that says, even though my language is conveying negativity, I choose to believe in affirmative positivity because I live the truly good life. I live such a good life that I don't need anything to provide me with good life. All I need is my inner capacity to choose to feel good in this moment. And it's that voice, it's that inner voice that the deaf beggar chooses to listen to. So it appears that he's blind to every, deaf to everything else. It appears that he's deaf to all other voices. And he emerges on the scene on the second day of Sheva Brachos. And he says, I'm giving you the blessing that you should live a good life like I live. You should be blessed to hear beyond the bad news. You should be blessed to listen to the true voice of the world, which from within the thousand breaths of death-bringing speech, which Paul Salan Hashem Yom Komdomo describes, we can hear the inner voice of hope, the silent voice of hope, that called the mamadaka, that silent sound that emerges out of all of existence, which promises us that even though things seem to sound negative, there is a positive voice emerging from all of it. Next week, Bezras Hashem, on Monday, we're going to encounter the third beggar, the stuttering beggar, the beggar who cannot speak, the beggar whose speech is so powerful that it needs to be doubled. The act of stuttering is an act of doubling. You think I can't speak, says the stuttering beggar. It's not that I can't speak. It's just that my words are too powerful for this world. And Be'ezra Sashem, next week we're going to see how we can receive the gift from the stuttering beggar as well. Be'ezra Sashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. 
The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Chef of Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page, and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 